0: Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 1. We're beginning a new series called Face to Face, stories of regular people coming face to face with Jesus. What was it like? What do you think it was like to come face to face with Jesus? You know, Jesus said he came to preach the good news to the poor to bring healing to the brokenhearted and proclaim true freedom along with God's favor. And he frequently offended religious leaders of the day, deciding to eat with or enter the lives of people who were hurting or poor or unloved or broken and rejected. And so with one surprise interaction after the next, Jesus displays this love and grace that is both disarming and beautiful. And so the stories we find in the Gospel of Luke, they're for us. As we encounter Jesus through these stories, we too will come face to face with Jesus. We're looking at chapter 1 this morning. The title of our Sunday talk here is Promises Answered. And Before we get into our passage, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this gathering this morning. Thank you for the privilege it is to gather with your people, to open your word together, to explore it. Thank you for, Lord, uh, each one who would come and be a part of what's happening here at Local Church St. Pete. God, would you knit our hearts together in love? Would you continue to meet us in places of, uh, of doubt, Would you continue to meet us in places of fear? Lord, for those who are struggling with anxieties, heavy weight and burdens, Lord, we pray that they would be lifted. Thank you for your sweet presence. Thank you, God, for the revelation of who you are through Holy Scripture. What a gift to us. So help us, Lord, to hear and to listen with everything in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he did it. God has come through at last. He has answered old promises in ways you would never have guessed. Now, what did God promise? And what do two birth announcements have to do with God answering his promises? In Luke chapter 1, we're invited into a world where longings and fears, they look a lot like our own. And where promises answered give way to joy and hope. The Gospel of Luke is one of four accounts that the Bible presents of Jesus' life and ministry. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it's believed that Luke, who was a missionary companion to the Apostle Paul and a physician, he wrote this account. And Luke was a non-Jew. He was a Gentile. And his account has this strong emphasis on the fact that Jesus came to save the lost, including every kind of marginalized person. Those who would have been considered outside the boundary lines drawn up by the established religious system of the day. That's who Jesus came for. And we're told from the start how the author, how Luke did this and what the author desired to accomplish. Let's read Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 You have been taught. And we'll pause there. He's writing in a formal style. His introduction is very formal. His opening remarks sound a lot like the writings of historians of the time. It's a classical form meant to communicate that this has all been done with thorough research and literary skill. And along with that thorough research and literary skill is this strong desire for the reader to know the truth. And so Luke has set out to provide this comprehensive and orderly account of Jesus. This is actually part one of a two-part series that Luke wrote, Luke and Acts. If you remember, we explored the book of Acts, the Acts of Jesus through the church. We explored that uh, in a series uh, before this one. But Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and Acts. And he's presenting this to Theophilus. He took time to gather eyewitness accounts. He undoubtedly gleaned from the Gospel of Mark, which was an earlier account of Jesus' ministry. And he puts it all together for this man named Theophilus. Is this guy a new Christian? He seems to be a man with authority and some, some kind of social standing and status. Maybe he's got a governmental position. He refers to Theophilus as most excellent. So did Theophilus financially back this project of writing this gospel account? We don't know. We do know that Theophilus was taught the truths of Christianity and that Luke had this great desire in his heart for him. It's really clear what Luke's desire is. He says that you may have certainty... He's saying, Theophilus, I I want you to have certainty. It's why I've compiled all this. It's why I've I've gone to eyewitnesses. It's why I've taken the time to write this out, that you might have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. So, Theophilus, you've been taught these things, but let me give you more. Let me give you something that will just give you certainty. I love that. As I was reading this passage and thinking about you, I thought, I want you to have certainty. I I want increased certainty. And we can have that as we we read the Gospel of Luke. Now, maybe you feel cold and numb, even indifferent to the things of of, of Christ. Maybe you once pressed in, you had this this time where you were devoted to the Lord in the past, and and now you're kind of you're flirting with it again, and you're kind of in and out, and, and you're not sure if you want to. Give it all the time that you gave it before. And you feel a bit cold, maybe disillusioned. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're discovering that you haven't been spending time actually in God's word. You realize this is God's chosen means. This is God's chosen means to reveal himself to us. So we don't have to wonder, God, what do you like? Actually, he's revealed himself in his word. And I've heard one author say, we need to warm ourselves by... By the fire of God's word. I love that. So often we can go about life and we can feel cold and numb to the things of God and it's, it's because we've removed ourselves from the source of revelation and the closer we are and the more we're delighting in God through his word, the warmer our hearts become. Now some would argue you can't have certainty about anything. They say, how can you, how can you know that anything is true? You ever talk to people who think that way. Maybe you think that way. Cynicism and speculation rule the day. Questions, uh, they say, can never really be answered are just swirling around in their heads and hearts. Maybe this is where you are. Well, I'm glad you're here. We all struggle with questions and doubts. But Luke is written that we might have certainty. I love it. We're looking at Two things this morning. One, two birth announcements. And two, two praise songs. Two birth announcements and two praise songs. The first, two birth announcements of an unusual kind. These will be a a long passage of scripture, but that's okay. I think we can handle it. Starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, mute, And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Two birth announcements of an unusual kind. The formal tone of the introduction, it fades away. And we step into a story that feels very familiar to us. That is, if you're at all familiar with the story of Israel. Think all the way back to this couple named Abraham and Sarah. We learned of Abraham's life last Sunday. Think back. This was a very old couple who couldn't have children, but were promised that they would be made into this great nation. So the story that Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, remember that this story he's telling us has its roots in an older story in the history of Israel. So if you imagine it like a tree, he's telling the story, and the story that we're reading in Luke 1 is a tree, but its roots are running deep into an old story, a history. A history that's very important for us to remember, and that we may be unfamiliar with if we're not familiar with the Old Testament. Israel. A people called to faith, delivered out of adversity and strife, who fell into rebellion time and time again, who were called to follow after the one true God, the creator God, and live for him. Overrun, a people overrun by oppression and darkness, corruption and heartache. They were experiencing some of that oppression in the day of Zechariah and Elizabeth, ruled by Rome, under the oppression of Rome, wanting to get out from under that political pressure. Now, there was more strife than just the the pressure of Rome of that day. But here, Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are in a sense, representing Israel. And truly, Zechariah represented Israel before God as a priest. And they're people really like you and me. Remember, as we enter this story and we learn of Zechariah and Elizabeth, these are people with hopes and dreams, with fears and anxieties. They're just like you and I. Now, Zechariah was one of many priests priests were divided into 24 divisions, each served for a week, twice a year, and they all served during the great festivals. So here he is. It's his divisions week to serve in the temple. Zechariah has been chosen by lot to burn incense in the holy place of the temple. This is one of the most exciting days of Zechariah's life. He was chosen to represent his division, but beyond that, he's chosen to represent his nation and go into the temple, the holy place, and light incense and pray for his, his nation before God. It was an exciting time. He was chosen to do this. So as priest, Zechariah was representing the nation of Israel before God, and he enters to pray and burn incense only to meet the angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord. You ever walk into a room, maybe early morning or late night, not expecting anyone to be there, and you're just like, whoa, hey. Listen, I startle very easy, and my whole family knows this about me, and they love to scare me. I mean, just last night, uh, Val and I are walking around the block, we're talking, and Jude jumps out of the tree uh, to scare us, and Val seemed like unfazed by it, and I'm like, duh. I think that's how Zachariah re- responded, it says he was troubled and fear fell on him, but I think he made that noise. And, he didn't expect it. He did not expect it. And here's what happens. There's a birth announcement given to him. It's fun. I mean, birth announcements are fun. Husband and wife going to their family, surprising everybody. are having a baby. They're like, oh my goodness. Now, about a year and a half ago, when Val and I were making this announcement, everybody's like, no, nah, oh, come, on. come on, you're messing with us. We're like, no, we're not messing with you. We are not messing with you. We're having another baby. And I remember when we, when we said, uh, we, we had Jude and Shay, my two oldest sit down when we announced that we we're having a baby and I wanted to get this on on uh, on record, so I had my phone out, and they're like, "Why are you videotaping? Why are you recording us? Like it's a family meeting. I just want to remember it." <laughs> I'm like okay, but their responses were the best. They it was the last thing they were expecting to hear. It was the last thing we were expecting to hear. <laughs> this is the last thing Zechariah was expecting to hear. Verse eighteen, he says, basically he's saying, "How? What?" How is this going to happen? I'm old and my wife's old. I mean Now here's another way we know Zechariah was just like us. He's hesitating between faith and doubt. He asks questions. Here's Zechariah the priest who's questioning an angel of the Lord. And Gabriel's like, "I am Gabriel." <laughs> I don't know if Gabriel like slapped Zechariah across the face like, "Hey, I'm Gabriel. Gabriel made him silent and unable to speak as a result of his questioning him. Now, everyone's wondering what's taking Zechariah so long. He finally comes out and he starts making all kinds of gestures. I'm imagining uh, a game of charades. Sounds like, you know, they're just trying to figure out what in the world happened in there. Uh, Until they realized that Zechariah had actually seen a vision and and they knew that he had encountered uh, something. Um something supernatural, something miraculous. But what exactly did Gabriel, the angel, say to Zechariah? Here's what he said to him. Your prayers have been heard. How sweet is that? Your wife will bear a son. How many years had Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed for a child? Your prayers have been heard, Zechariah. Your wife will bear a son. What Zechariah prayed for and he longed for, God is providing. And you will call his name John. John means the Lord has shown favor. And you will have joy and gladness. In other words, the reproach of barrenness, this disappointment and shame that your wife is experiencing, it's going to be lifted. And more than that, Guess what else is going to be lifted? The silence of God. For 400 years, since the prophet Malachi, the prophetic voice of Israel had been silent. And now Gabriel is before the priest, Zechariah, and he's saying, you're going to have a son who will be the fulfillment of promises of a forerunner, of a deliverer. So your son will be the one who comes before the Messiah, this anointed king that you and your nation And really the world has been waiting for. He himself, your son, will turn many to the Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, Elijah the prophet, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That was John's role and responsibility. And so here's this crazy birth announcement. And Zacharias, first of all, trying to figure, I'm having a baby. We're having a baby. We're going to have a baby. And then he's he's starting to comprehend what Gabriel is actually saying about his son, that he will be the one preparing the way for a savior. So God isn't silent, but Zechariah is struck with silence. Then he goes back home and Elizabeth conceives. I'm thinking because Zechariah has nothing to say, he can't speak. So they have nothing else to do. And she conceives. Then she goes into hiding. I'm just trying to read between the lines here. When you use your journal Bible, that's going to help you to do all that. Okay, and then she goes into hiding, and she has great joy and gratitude, uh, definitely waiting uh, to have this baby. And Elizabeth, she, as she's pregnant with John, the whole narrative that we're reading here is pregnant with anticipation and hope. And we're wondering, wow, what's next? Well, what's next is the second birth announcement, the birth announcement to Mary. Apparently, Gabriel has all the fun. He announces the babies are going to be born. We're introduced to this young girl named Mary. She's engaged to Joseph of the house of David, which is important because chapter 1 in Luke is is all about fulfillment, God meeting his promises, promises specifically to provide a king in the line of David for the nation of Israel, for the world. And we'll talk about why that's important, but here we, we see that Joseph is of the line of David. And this... angel Angel Gabriel appears to Mary and, and there's really nothing extraordinary about Mary, at least not yet. And this was the last thing that Mary expected to encounter and to hear. Now why? Because Mary is engaged and marriage back in the new Testament time was this two stage process. I don't know if you've ever thought of it and wondered why they, they had to get this formal divorce if they were only engaged. But marriage was a two-stage process. You had engagement and you have the wedding. Engagement, though, was this legally binding contract. It was a formal agreement made before witnesses. Now, uh, the girl, the woman, would still stay with her family. Oftentimes, she was very young. She'd stay with her family as the man worked and continued to save and as they got ready for the, the wedding. But they, there was this formal agreement made and they, they would not have sexual relations during that time. And, but that, that could only be broken with this formal divorce. They were committed to one another. Legally. But the angel comes and he says, favored one, the Lord is with you. And she's greatly troubled. Greatly troubled. I mean, she knew how things worked. She's thinking, I'm a virgin. How's this going to unfold? He says, the power... Of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, Gabriel's saying, What's about to happen to you is a supernatural thing. This is miraculous. And something that will help you understand and really embrace this. You you know, your relative? You know, your older relative, Elizabeth, who was barren? She's pregnant too. John, before he's even born, is already proving to be an encouragement and a sign for Mary and Jesus. Then Gabriel drops verse 37, this line from a familiar story in Genesis 18. What does Gabriel say in verse 37? He says, for nothing will be impossible with God. It's something that was told to Abraham and to Sarah as well. Nothing is impossible with God. Why is Gabriel leaning on this old story? Because promises are being met. God is doing what he has promised to do at last, at last. What God promised to Abraham and Israel is finally taking place. And Mary responds in verse 38 with, okay, I'm the Lord's. I believe you and I want this. She responded with humble obedience. Now, what did Gabriel say about her son? His name will be Jesus. Now, Jesus means Yahweh or the Lord saves and Yahweh is this, this, the name of uh, of God, which means He who is. So His name reveals His presence. So the God who is present, oh, guess what? The God, the true God of all, who's present, the Lord, He saves. And He will be called the Son of the Most High, given the throne of His Father David. This is what the angel's saying. He will reign over Jacob, whose name was turned to Israel. He will reign over Israel forever. No end to His kingdom. And so here, Gabriel's announcing this this amazing news to Mary, the roots of what he's saying running straight to the promises given to Abraham, to Jacob, and to David. So these promises were the foundation of Israel's hopes and dreams of what God would do for them. And it's all coming to pass now in a way they just didn't expect. So there's two birth announcements of an unusual kind. One would prepare the way for the other. And now the mothers-to-be are waiting like every mother before and after them. They got to (laughs) wait. You got nine months. While they're waiting, Mary visits Elizabeth and John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth says of this, John is leaping for joy. So this is a joy-filled visit between Mary and Elizabeth, their relatives. They're celebrating. I imagine their eyes are just filled with joyful tears of what God is doing in and through them. Lots of laughter, lots of wonder. And here's what Elizabeth says to Mary. You, my lady, are royalty. It's about what she says. You are royalty. How is it that the mother of my Lord, my master, should should come to me? You believed God would fulfill what he spoke to you. Mary, you are blessed. And that leads to some songs of praise. We looked at two birth announcements. Now we're going to look at two songs of praise. First, Mary's song of praise. It celebrates what God has done. We have to read it. Verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary's song is a song of celebration of what God has done. Now, much of her song is inspired by another song found in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 2, Hannah. If you remember the story of Hannah, who, again, couldn't have children, was blessed by God, and then she dedicated her child, whose name was Samuel, to the temple. Samuel would go on to be the prophet who anointed King David as king. Oh, there's history behind this. It's rooted in something. She says, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And then she rattles off this list of he has moments. He has done this. He has done that. She is so certain of what God has promised to her. And she proclaims it as already accomplished. There's this great faith that just wells up in her. Of God's provision and faithfulness and character. Oh, he has intervened. He's intervened the way Gabriel announced. And this is in keeping with his character. And she's celebrating it. And now, then we see Zechariah's song of praise, which celebrates what God has done and will do. Let's read about that. Verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives all heard that the, uh, that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, Then will this child be, for the hand of the Lord was with him. And here's what Zechariah did after his tongue was loosed. He sang. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, saying, O blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David As they should, just like they would for you if you had a child. There's a party atmosphere here. And they assume his name is going to be Zachariah like his dad. And Elizabeth's like, no, it's John. And they signal Zachariah about this. He writes it out. And immediately he can speak and hear. When you experience the birth of a child, what happens? The world stops. It did for me. The world just stops. You wonder and you dream about the future. You cherish and you soak in that moment of joy and new life. Now I imagine Zechariah holding his promised promised son, thinking about his son's role, what it would be, and what that meant. Spirit empowered prophetic song then comes on him at last, at last, a deliverer in the line of David at last provision. God, you've met met us in our greatest need at last. And then halfway through the song, he looks down at his baby, at this infant child, John, and he says, and you, and you, and you. You know, as we read this, for me, it reminds me of visiting a couple who has had their first child in the hospital. They're beaming. Oh, they're beaming. And you leave the hospital just beaming. You're so happy. He's singing. He's singing about God's faithfulness, about what God has done. And he, as he looks down at his son, he's singing about what God will do through him and the one he's preparing the way for. But it's more than a song about a baby, it's a song about God's faithfulness. And it's one that we need to put on repeat. Okay, the stage is set. We know something is coming around the corner, but we have to wait. A lot like Mary has to wait. And when the baby in Mary hiccuped and she felt him kick or push against her bladder, did she remember Zechariah's song? I bet you she did. That her son would, would what? Would give the knowledge of salvation And forgiveness of sins. That he would give light to those sitting in darkness. God took the ordinary. This older couple and this young girl. And he promised the extraordinary. He used the poor and the powerless and the oppressed. To bring about his promises. To answer his promises of deliverance. To the poor and to the powerless and to the oppressed. The stage is set. And this is written for our certainty. Don't forget. The certainty of what? That God, the God of the Bible, keeps his promises. It should leave us with joy, gratitude. That though he did it in a way that no one could have guessed, he did it. He answered the promises of old. He answered them in his son, Jesus. It leaves us with anticipation, eager expectation and hope for what's next. My prayer is that it would fill our hearts, all of us, with an eagerness, a readiness to trust him. If God does this, what are you asking him for? What are you leaning on him for? He is trustworthy. He's a faithful God. Faithful God. Where is your hope today? Are you looking to Christ, the provision? Right now in this story, oh, he's still in the womb, but not for long. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you have shown us of your faithfulness. We're trying to wrap our minds around what the expectations were and how intense they were for Israel. We're trying to step into that world and experience it because we're so far removed from it. But God, thank you that as we read of these promises that you've met, as we read of prophecies fulfilled, as we read of the birth of John and the coming announcement and the the future birth of Jesus, Lord, all these things are rattling around in our heads and our hearts. And I just pray, God, that you would build in our hearts faith, joy, hope, rest in you, the living God. Lord, I pray that as Luke, his desire was to bring certainty, that Lord, you would bring certainty to our hearts. We love you and we thank you for the way you have delivered. We thank you for the way you've provided forgiveness of sins in your son. Amen. Amen. Amen.